Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Sermons Podcast. My name's Stuart, I'm the Minister at St Ninian's in Stonehouse, which is in Scotland. We are a local ecumenical partnership between the Church of Scotland and the United Reformed Church and that means we reflect both traditions in our work and worship. So let's listen to our reading for this week and then get on to the sermon. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes blaze like fire, whose feet shine like polished brass. I know what you do. I know your love, your faithfulness, your service and your patience. I know that you are doing more than you did at first, but this is what I have against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a messenger of God. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into practicing sexual immorality and eating food that has been offered to idols. I have given her time to repent her sins, but she does not want to turn from her immorality. And so I will throw her on a bed where she and those who commit adultery with her will suffer terribly. I will do this unless they repent of the wicked things they did with her. I will also kill her followers, and then all the churches will know that I am the one who knows everything, everyone's thoughts and wishes. I will repay each of you accordingly to what you have done. But the rest of you in Thyatira have not followed this evil teaching. You have not learned what the others call the deep secrets of Satan. I say to you that I will not put any other burden on you. But until I come, you must hold firmly to what you have. To those who win the victory, who continue to the end, to do what I want, I will give the same authority that I receive from my Father. I will give them authority over the nations, to rule them with an iron rod and to break them into pieces like clay pots. I will also give them the morning star. If you have ears, then listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Showing that something is possible has always been really important for humanity, hasn't it? Throughout history, there have been loads of things that people thought you just couldn't do. It just wasn't physically possible. People thought that you couldn't climb Everest. It was just too high. People thought that we couldn't go into space. It was just too complicated. People thought you couldn't run a mile in under four minutes or 100 meters in under 10 seconds. And people have always tried to push those boundaries to do things that they thought were physically or mentally or technologically impossible. And yesterday in Vienna, Elliot Kipchoge ran 26.2, and that point two is incredibly important. And MD that's run a marathon will tell you that. It's the worst point two miles of your life. In one hour, 59 minutes and 40 seconds. The first person ever to run under two hours. That's four minutes 30 a mile for 26.2 miles. 63 seconds a lap of a standard track for 105 laps. It's just insane. When you start to break down the numbers, it's absolutely incredible. And the thing is that we see again and again that someone comes along and proves all the things that we thought were impossible, that would never happen, happen. And once they do that, someone comes along and does it quicker or higher, or further, or better. Do you know what the current world record for the mile is? 
Empty. Three minutes, 43 seconds, 0.13. That's 17 seconds faster than Roger Bannister ran it. It's all 17 seconds is also uh, the time it took Elio Kipchoge to run every 100 metres. It's just nuts. I can't get my head around how fast that is. Who holds the world record for the mile? It's interesting, isn't it? We all know who ran the first mile in under four minutes, but we don't know who ran a mile in three minutes, 43 seconds. It's Hayam El Garouge of Morocco. So there you go. But he didn't do it first, did he? See, that's the thing. There are these barriers that we remember, the first person to do a thing that we thought was impossible. And the world record's been broken loads of times since then. Loads of people have run faster than Bannisters. A kind of standard 1,500 metre race now. Everybody runs faster than a four minute mile. And yet we thought we couldn't do it. We thought nobody could run that fast. It's the ones that go first that we remember. Edmund Hillary, what did he do? Climbed Everest. Amelia Earhart flew across the Atlantic. Yuri Gagarin space. He just did space. He was the first to do space, wasn't he? Neil Armstrong. Well, if you believe the conspiracy theories. Roger Bannister. Elliot Kachobi. Yeah? But what does that have to do with the book of Revelation? Or more properly, the revelation to St. John. So it begins, this revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. That's a strange beginning to any kind of book. But this is a strange book. But then it comes in a strange community. We've talked before about this community of John, the Johannine community, right? Last year, we, we spent quite a lot of time in John's gospel, and we learned that it's strange. The fourth gospel is different from all the other three. It's really different. The stories it tells are different, the way it tells them are different, and the purpose of the book is different. John's community was a Jewish community who believed in Jesus, and so they were all thrown out of their synagogues. And so John wrote this gospel that was full of secrets, only things that people who knew would understand. Because the people had to meet in secret. Because if people found they were part of this community, they faced the very real threat of execution for blasphemy because they believed that Jesus was divine. And as that community grew and developed, it spread like the rest of the Christian church. So along with John's gospel came letters. We read part of one of them today. Letters to these different churches that were all around the Mediterranean. And then comes Revelation. This strange apocalyptic and prophetic book that most of us avoid because it's difficult. And it's upsetting and it's just plain odd. But we shouldn't be surprised that it's odd. 
Remember, the writings that are attributed to John in the fourth gospel are full of images. Most of the things that we read aren't about what they seem to be about. Remember when we read the first miracle of Jesus when he changed water into wine at Cana, we discovered that it's much more than just making sure that the party continues. Jesus transforms the religious water, the water used for the purity system, into wine, which becomes for us the symbol of his blood and communion. It's full of images and meaning and metaphor, but we need a key to unlock the stories. In the Gospel of John, the key is very simple. What does this story tell us about Christ? The clue is given in the very first lines of the Gospel, that beautiful passage about the Word that seems quite complicated. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, you know, and it goes on and on and tells us about this Word. And of course, the Word means Christ. Because for John, Christ is universal. Christ is cosmic. Christ was there at the beginning of all things and created all things and will be there at the end of all things too. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory of, with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. That's how John explains the coming of Jesus into the world. This cosmic Christ that becomes a man. Because the cosmic Christ is too big. It's too hard to understand. It's too much to wrap our tiny wee heads around. And so he comes as a man because we know what they are. And we can see one. And it gives us an example. Just like someone climbing Everest. Now hundreds of people do it every year. Like hundreds, you can pay and somebody will take you up Everest. Although several people die every year doing it. But people queue up at the bottom to go up. Someone will run a marathon in a race in less than two hours in the next couple of years. Because it can be done. Because most of it's about your head. To live a God-filled life was and is possible. Even though we didn't think it was. So for John, Christ is much bigger than this man, Jesus. That's why Revelation is so big, so bold and so cosmic. Jesus is the embodiment of Christ. And for John, the physical body of Jesus just shows us humans what is possible. But it's limiting. Because Christ is much more than just a man. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. The letters of John encourage these new churches in that task. They guide them and support them with wisdom and encouragement. They help them to steer back when they've wandered off the path. And that's exactly how Revelation begins. Seven churches in Asia, the seven candlesticks, the seven lights around the Mediterranean. And John writes letters to them. And we heard three, I think three or four of them this morning. And he kind of does this thing. It's a bit like... Um, 
when you're at school and you get two stars and a wish. It's like, you're really good at this, you're really good at this, but you're absolutely dreadful at this, sort it out. And that's what he does to all of them. Encouragement, encouragement, and then a stinging rebuke. One of the most common issues amongst the churches seems to be the idea of false teaching. In the early years of the church, long before the books, the gospel books were established, people traveled around and taught. And we read about some of them, Paul and Timothy and Barnabas and people like that all wandered around and they went from church to church and they taught about Jesus. But with anything, any word of mouth message, things get missed or changed or, or people give the bits that they like more importance or they make themselves more important. And so heresies become rife things that aren't quite right, little paths that people wander down and think, oh, this is the right way to go, and it's not. And much of the task of the letters in Revelation is to put those wrong teachings right, to establish what we might call orthodoxy. And that just means an an agreed understanding. So an orthodoxy, agreed understanding. Of course, In those days it was easier because some of the disciples were still around. Some of the people who'd actually met Jesus and listened to him teach were still there. And so they could refer back to them and say, well, such and such said this, how do you think that sits? And the disciples would meet together and they would have a conversation about it and they would decide whether or not that seemed to fit. They had things called the Council of Jerusalem where they argued a lot. And then they decided what they thought was right and they told everybody else. Just like a board meeting or a session meeting. Because it's the same process. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to discern the will of God. That's the purpose of those meetings. And one of the big issues of the day was, well, what do we do with new stuff? What do we do when somebody comes along and says, so God's told me this. We read about it in Acts. Remember when Peter goes to visit Cornelius, who's a Roman, and he's thinking about, well, I can't go and visit him because I won't be able to eat anything because the stuff that they eat is unclean for Jews. And he gets this vision of a great big tablecloth coming down covered in animals of all kinds, including unclean ones, and God says to him, it's fine, just eat it. But he has to go back to the rest of the disciples and say, so, I had this vision from God and it was a big tablecloth and it came down from heaven and it was covered in stuff to eat and God said, just eat it. And the other disciples probably went, all right. Uh, We're not entirely sure about that. And they had a conversation about it. And they decided eventually that Peter had been given a vision from God. But they decided together It wasn't up to Peter just to say, well, this is what we're going to do now. They decided together. That's what theology is. It's a community thing. We're supposed to meet together and think about what this stuff means. It's not for me to decide. All I'm doing on a Sunday is starting a conversation, hopefully, where you go away and think about it and talk to each other about it and wonder about it 
and then come back next week and then we'll add some more to that and, and we keep thinking about it and trying to understand more and more. And that's what's going on here in Revelation. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. Well, there are lots of false prophets. That's what they're doing. And it gives us a message. So how do we know the difference? Well, the ones that confess Jesus as Lord, they're the right ones, and the ones that don't aren't. It's quite simple, really, isn't it? Except it's not that simple in real life. It's a difficult thing to do, and so we need to talk and test and all of that kind of stuff. And all this flowery language in Revelation about angels and demons and beasts and wars and all that kind of stuff, actually, underneath all of that, it's dealing with some quite straightforward issues. How do we be the church? What are the things that will take us away from following Jesus? What does the world say? Remember, they're living in the middle of the, the Roman Empire. Nero's the emperor when this has been written. Things aren't going well for anybody. You know, the Roman Empire's descending into chaos and People are being killed for nothing and they're rounding up Christians and throwing them to the lions and all kinds of things are happening. And so this book is written in technicolor. It's like the, the ancient Greek legends, you know, with minotaurs and cyclopses and winged horses and all that kind of stuff. Or, you know, a bit more up to date, it's like the Marvel Universe with Thanos and Iron Man and Captain America and all those folk. It, it's written in a way that's a big, big story. But actually underneath, the stories are quite simple. They're about people and how they react to different situations. What they might do to overcome adversity. They're just about helping us to understand who we are. And who God is. And how those two things relate to each other. Revelation wants us to look at Christ. To wonder who Christ is. And to think about who we are in relation to Christ. To do that, the author begins by addressing the churches. Two stars and a wish. And they, say, they face exactly the same issues that we all face today. Who, who do we say God is? Where is God leading us? How should we behave? How do we work out who speaks on behalf of God and who doesn't? How do we deal with evil in the world? And for John, the answer is always Christ. Christ is the way that we work it out. We're called to build on his example. Because Jesus is the groundbreaker. He's the one who went first. He's the one who broke all the barriers and showed us what was possible. Just like in the time of Revelation. One church with different congregations. One time but different places. One faith but different situations and different challenges. Like in Ephesus. Endurance and God's work. But they didn't have any love. And Smyrna, faithful to God, but persecuted to the point of death. And Pergamum, loyal to God, but compromised by false doctrines. And Theatria, progress in the service of God, 
but they'd become corrupted. So there's one message to the whole of the world. Listen to this. We all have strengths and weaknesses. We all have challenges and difficulties. We all need to take heed of our faults. But God has promised to help us overcome them. The same God who was victorious over death. So the question is, what's stopping you? What holds us back? Are our limitations as a church self-imposed? We talk again and again and again about decline. The narrative of the church is that things are getting worse and there's fewer people and all that kind of stuff. And that limits us. It limits who we are and what we do and what we think is possible. I've said again and again and again, there was 12 guys at one point and 2,000 years later we're still sitting here talking about them. In the same way that we're still talking about Roger Bannister and Edmund Hillary and Neil Armstrong and all the people who went first. So whatever the state of our church today, whatever the weaknesses we show, whatever the challenges we face, surely the message of Revelation as a whole reminds us that we all need to be faithful. That we all need to listen for the voice of God's Spirit. That we need to believe in the assurance that God has the capacity for redeeming everything that's broken, everything that's fractured and everything that's lost. And that's the point at which we begin. Redeeming the things in us that are broken and fractured and lost, helping each other to be better, to do better. The one thing that all of those groundbreakers had in common Hillary and Earhart and Gagarin and Armstrong and Bannister and yesterday Kipchoge, they all had help. They had coaches and engineers and Sherpas and pacemakers. They couldn't have achieved what they achieved by themselves. After the run yesterday, Kipchoge was asked about his amazing effort and he said, 100% of me is not even 1% of us. A 100% of me is not even 1% of us. I'm nothing in comparison to all of this. And so it is with us. With Christ going before us and leading the way, inspiring us, calling out to us, cheering us, the future of the church really is without limit. All we have to do is step up and play our part. What's stopping us? Perhaps only us. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon, then please do get in touch. We create this podcast at anchor.fm where you can leave us a voice message. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We post the audio of the whole service each week on our website. There are details of all of this in the show notes. 
If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship every Sunday at 11am. We'd love to see you.